following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Today's Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All right. Thank you, Leslie, by the way. Thanks to all who've been part of uh, making things happen in the service today. This is the, um, the first Sunday in the season of Lent, which is a season in the Christian church where we typically focus on the ideas of repentance and um, certain types of reflection and often self-denial. How many of you maybe have like given up something for Lent in the past? Maybe you did that, maybe you did that this year um, even. We typically during the season of Lent would be following the lectionary using the, the scriptural texts that are kind of like seasonal and appropriate for the year. But we're doing it a little differently this year as you heard Pastor Jesse mention during the announcements, instead of using the lectionary as the basis for our service liturgy and the sermon content, we're using this book uh, by Rachel Held Evans. Um, and our hope is that in addition to giving you something that we think is, when I say we, I mean like the staff and leadership team, that we think is very timely for where we discern the life of artisan church to be right now, that it will also give you a, kind of a different perspective on how to observe the season of Lent, because there is a lot of value in thinking about repentance and uh, mortality, and there's value sometimes in engaging in a little bit of self-denial if it's done in a healthy way. But during this season of Lent, and by the way, it's fine if you gave up chocolate or coffee or whiskey or whatever, but um, during this season of Lent, what we're actually asking you to do is a little different. We're asking you to add something into your daily life which is to spend a little time with this book. And if you don't know the author, Rachel Held Evans, um, she was a wonderful writer and thinker and theologian. Um, and she died at the age of 37 several years ago. And it's a tremendous loss uh, to so many of us who found her ability to give voice to our spiritual experience um, so healing. And so uh, her friend Jeff Chu, who's also a wonderful writer and thinker and theologian, finished the book using the manuscript that she had started before her on a, a very untimely death. Um, <clears throat> as Jesse said, the reading assignments are pretty light, so you could be involved with this, and you don't. It's not like you're having to read a heavy theology book. I mean, I said she's a theologian, but she's the good kind of theologian that everybody can read, um, as opposed to the bad kind, <laughs> which which only other theologians can read. Um, and we're going to do basically one of the chapters in each of the sermons will be kind of where I start from uh, week to week. And then you can read the other chapters in between. And, and on the, the midweek book discussion groups, you might go beyond just the chapter that we're looking at. But today, um, we're starting with the prologue in chapter one. By the way, if you wanted to read ahead, next week's sermon will be chapter four. And then after that, will be chapter six. But they're short chapters. 
Um, and as she said, if you don't have the book, you can grab one today. Really encourage you to read it. But it's also important for me to say, and this is then I'll stop my preamble. Um, if you don't own this book and won't own this book and don't have another second in your day to read another book, that doesn't mean you have to like leave Artisan until after Easter. Okay, we, we're going to do our best, all of us, to make this um, engaging and useful and helpful and meaningful for everybody, whether you've read the book or not. Okay, so I want to start out by asking you, start out like five minutes ago, I started out, but I want to start out the actual sermon, that, that didn't count against my time, by um, asking you, those of you who have read this book, at least the prologue in chapter one, how did this book make you feel? How did the, reading these chapters make you feel? I'll keep an eye on the Zoom chat too, because I imagine our friends in Zoom might have some thoughts on this kind of thing. You can shout out a word. What's a word? Sad. Anybody else feel sad reading this book? Can I ask you why you felt sad reading it? <laughs> yeah, sad. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but mm -hmm. yeah, she had two kids and a husband, and and it's sad that she's gone. Thank you. I felt sad as well. What else did you feel reading these chapters? Understood. Anybody else feel understood, or or to use the parlance of the day, seen? Did you feel seen? Yeah, me too. What else? Oh, like an aha. Is that a feeling? I'm not sure. I have a, like a, I have a big like wheel of emotions in my uh, counseling practicum office. I don't think aha is on there. <laughs> Please go on. I'm going to stop talking to you. <laughs> yeah, she is able to voice things that people feel and don't know how to articulate. And so you read those words and you go, aha, that's what I've been feeling all along, right? Yes. Thank you for allowing me to be... Um, mean to you. <laughs> he said anything, anytime before I finished my sentence, I could have said anything. <laughs> like live in your basement anytime. Um, oh my goodness. I wonder if anybody perhaps found the chapter title, which by the way is also the sermon title, On the Days When I Believe, chapter one. I wonder if anybody else found that title a little provocative and maybe even unsettling. Anybody kind of feel like, ooh, on the days when I believe? Because what does that imply? <laughs> that there are days when she doesn't believe, right? Now, if, if you were not raised in the evangelical Christian church, this may not hit you in this way, but for those of us who were, the idea that there would ever be a day when we don't believe, when there would ever be a moment when we don't believe, is, is potentially quite terrifying, right? Some of you are nodding, you know what I mean. For those of you who don't know what I mean, uh, I'll explain to you briefly. You know, we were taught that we're saved by faith and not by works. And by the way, that is in the Bible. Those words are in the Bible. We even sang a version of those words in one of the songs earlier. Did you catch it earlier? It was like sort of old English. Um, you know, our works alone are all in vain and much the best life faileth, I think is the words. But we're saved by faith and not by works. Uh, and what we were taught that that means is that the only thing that saves you from eternal hell is your faith in Jesus, by which we always meant your belief in Jesus. Your belief in what about Jesus exactly? Well, the teachings of the church, of course. Which teachings of the church, you might ask? Well, all of them. And what happens if you don't believe? 
We just told you. <laughs> You're saved by faith. If you don't believe, you don't have faith, and therefore you are not saved. So for those of us with this particular background, even a fleeting moment of doubt means that we don't have faith, which is the only thing that saves us, and so we're headed to hell. Right? So you can see why, for some people, uh, though not all people, I acknowledge that, the chapter title, On the Days When I Believe, implying that there are days when she doesn't believe, is a little bit unsettling. Now, I have to be careful not to go too far on this tangent, but I do think it's very important for me to stay here for just a minute for those of you who are still maybe in that place, who still have that um, even even waking up in the middle of the night kind of fear of what comes with that. Um, so with the caveat that this is not a full treatment of the idea, I would just say that there's the thing with a verse like that that says we're saved by faith, not by works. Or even just take it down, we are saved by faith, right? That's five words, right? And two of the five words are incredibly important to understanding the meaning of the phrase. Do you see what I'm saying? We are saved by faith. And we have a definition in mind, a lot of us, what it means to be saved has something to do with hell. What it means to have faith has something to, believe, something to do with believing the right list of teachings. But I'm going to give you a what if that might help you shed some of that anxiety and fear. What if? Both of the definitions that I just gave you for those two words are a little bit off the mark. In other words, what if being saved means something other or something more than avoiding hell? And what if faith means something other or something more than believing in a specific list of ideas and teachings? Well, that may seem like a small thing, but for some of you, I know it's not. And because I know it's not because for me, it was not a small thing at all. That for me, the idea that even just the definition of salvation and the definition of faith, I might have not had complete. I, the, the picture might not have been big enough or colorful enough. Even just that for me kind of um, saved me, if you'll pardon the use of that particular word, from the anxiety and fear and like spiritual unrest that I was in all the time for a season of my life. And I hope that maybe for some of you, that just kind of opens the door open, uh, just a crack. You know, like that scene in the movie or the TV show where they open the apartment door and the chain is still there, but you can sort of see out. <laughs> you can breathe in the air, right? There is more, perhaps, to this phrase, we are saved by faith than has been taught to some of you in the little tiny studio apartment of of religion where you have lived your whole lives. Right. But I do want to spend most of the time here talking about what, what Rachel says. I call her Rachel. I hope that's okay. Um, in the prologue in the chapter of Wholehearted Faith. Now, since we are Christian people, most of us, and that's certainly the context here, but it's if that's not your title for yourself, that's okay. We're really glad that you're here anyway. Um, but as Christian people, I think it makes a lot of sense for, for us to focus on the, the Jesus-y parts of her chapter um, and to frame our uh, experience and understanding through the lens of Jesus 
specifically in his interactions with other people. I, I find that in the life of faith, it's very often helpful to imagine myself in the presence of the human Jesus, right? We Christians believe that Jesus was fully human and fully God. And sometimes the, the God side is pretty hard to, to grasp, but it's a little easier to imagine being in the presence of a human being because most of us have spent a lot of time doing that. And Jesus spent a lot of time with people talking to them, teaching them, admonishing them, healing them. So much of what we know of Jesus's life and it involves his interactions with other people. So that's where I want to focus. And there's two stories um, in the Gospels that I think point us to this beautiful chapter in Rachel Held Evans's book. The first one is the man who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, we haven't read that text in the service today, but how many of you are familiar with at least that, that like sentence? I believe, help my unbelief. Right? If you don't know the story, I'll just give you the very short summary of it, which is that a man came to Jesus begging for his son to be healed. And he says, Lord, if you are able. And Jesus is like, if you're able, all things are possible for those who believe. And the man's response, the father whose son was experiencing something extremely traumatic, said, Lord, I, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus said to him, that is not what I said. Those who believe make things possible. You have just said that you have unbelief. And so you need to go away and come back with your son another day when you have a more complete and robust faith. If that doesn't sound like Jesus, it's because I just made that up. <laughs> that is not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say anything about what the man said to him. What did Jesus do? He healed the man's son. End of interaction. Lord, I believe, I do believe, help my unbelief. Jesus is like, that's good enough for me. Bring. We don't know that Jesus like said Bring, when he performed miracles. I like to imagine that he did. If I had the power to do miracles, I would certainly go Bring. <laughs> every time I made one happen. But So that's the first interaction that I think points us to this beautiful chapter on the days when I believe. See, the idea that it, it's never okay to have a moment of doubt is not really supported by that interaction that Jesus had with that desperate father who so needed his son to be healed, but who didn't have that 100% level of, of faith. And the other interaction was in the gospel reading that you heard just a few minutes ago. Uh, and this one, Rachel calls out specifically in her chapter. It's when the man comes to Jesus. And by the way, they always have ulterior motives when the, when the lawyers come to Jesus, they're, they, no offense, I know we have some lawyers in the room, but I trust that you wouldn't come to Jesus trying to trick him. Um, but he, they said, he says to Jesus, what is the greatest teaching in all the law? Right? Now, how many laws were there in, in the law of Moses? Right? Um, you might know the Ten Commandments, right? So which of the Ten Commandments is the greatest? Or is it the full law of Moses? There's 613 of those. I think it was the latter. And so he's like, Jesus what do you think is the most important? And Jesus has a pretty quick and simple answer for him. You remember what he said? Let's look it up. Matthew 22 it was, right? I sure hope so. Otherwise, I'm going to read you a different story in a minute. 
He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And as the man turned to walk away because he'd gotten his answer, Jesus said, hang on. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I wonder if that particular man felt he was doing a real good job at that first commandment and was ready to be satisfied that his answer was also Jesus's answer. But maybe he wasn't doing such a great job with his neighbors. And Jesus was like, by the way, there's another one that's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine the idea uh, in a religion that loving a human being would be as important as loving God? That's what Jesus gives us. In fact, he says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, which I like to take to mean, like, if you don't have all 613 of them memorized, or if you struggle with one or two of them, focus on these two, love God and love neighbor. And and that actually contains all of the other stuff anyway. So you'll get there if you do that. And Rachel has this beautiful... um, (laughs) Did you, do you remember this where she's like, at this exact moment that I'm writing this, <laughs> I am struggling to love my neighbor who is mowing the lawn across the street and he's moving his lawnmower around a political sign that I find particularly offensive. <laughs> right? I love that she had that self-awareness. The idea that loving neighbor is actually an evidence of loving God is, is pretty incredible. And then she goes on to say, and this would be a whole sermon by itself, that that loving oneself is important if you're going to obey the commandment to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because if you loathe yourself, if you hate yourself, if you're not really happy with yourself, if you're uh, not fond of yourself, if you're regularly unkind to yourself, you're going to have a difficult time applying the love of self to the neighbor in a, in a way that's going to bear fruit in your life and in theirs. Some of us come by that self-loathing quite honestly because of the way we've been treated by, ironically enough, people in the church. And so some of us have this kind of like prerequisite to the commandment that Jesus gives, which is coming to the point where we can actually love ourselves for who we are. And if that includes you right now, I encourage you that you are so beloved as you are that God made you and loves you as you are. And that you, whenever you are ready, can move on to loving yourself even more. And that hopefully that will help you apply God's love to your neighbor as well. But these two interactions with Jesus are are so remarkable to me. The one where the father says right out loud, he doesn't have enough faith in his mind. And Jesus heals his son anyway. And the one where the, the teacher comes to Jesus and 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 asks him, like, what is your teaching about the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, it's love, love, love. These two interactions, um, I think, would really help us if we kept them in view when we're trying to frame our own connection to God, right? Because if, you, if you've spent your life framing your connection to God as, um, as obedience and punishment, this will give you a a completely different way of thinking and being. And as we witness Jesus interacting with other human beings, perhaps we can imagine Jesus interacting with us in the same way and saying to us when we're desperately pleading for something, but we don't have a lot of faith 
that it's going to happen, that he loves us anyway. Of saying to us, when we're struggling to obey every single rule that our parents or teachers or friends or whatever keep hurling at us, that really what we should be focusing on is loving God and loving neighbor and let the other stuff fall into place from there. So here's where I'd like to leave things for us today. And this, this will be returning to Rachel Held Evans and her reflection on this second passage, the second interaction. She points out, and you may have known this as well, that Jesus' source for what he says is the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with everything you have, is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a, a, a prayer known as the Shema Yisrael. It's still prayed in synagogues all over the world to this day. It's, it's maybe the most important teaching in Jewish religion to this day. And so it's consistent with what Jesus was saying about it. The first commandment, the first thing is to remember that God is one and that you should love God with everything you have, heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he, he grabs that second one. I love to point this out. I know I just said it like two weeks ago. He grabs that second one, love your neighbor as yourself, from the warm, fuzzy book of Leviticus, <laughs> which I, I love so much. But Rachel takes that, that Shema Israel prayer, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And she paints this beautiful picture of a faith that is clouded with uncertainty, actually being quite powerful and profound and intense. She says this, from the moment human beings could speak of the mystery we call God, we have spoken in terms of total devotion, or at least the possibility of it. Heart and mind, body and soul, love that envelops the entire self, no holding back, no fear. And to me, that is so beautiful because it's such a reckless, um, over-the-top way to apply this idea. She imagines that we would be so consumed with the, the, the desire to be devoted to God and to love ourselves and love our neighbors. That we would throw ourselves into it with no holding back and no fear. And the contrast between that image and all of this talk about uncertainty and doubt and lack of belief, to me, is absolutely delicious. It's so perfect. Because you have been told, I know you have, and I have been told, that lacking faith is a sign of being weak and tepid. That having any questions or uncertainty or doubts is a sign that you are not bought in quite Far enough that you are not so-called on fire for Jesus. Did you ever get told you weren't on fire enough for God? Gen Z, I'm so happy for you that probably people don't say that anymore, but <laughs> maybe they do. I don't know. They definitely said it to me. Once again, we have to define our terms, and doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is the opposite of certainty but we are not saved by our certainty. We are saved by our faith. And I think a better synonym for faith is trust. 
Faith is a life without certainty. It's a hope without a guarantee. And if that feels a little bit like jumping out without a parachute, I actually think that's probably as it should be. Let me actually close with the words of another brilliant woman, author, Flannery O'Connor. This was something that was really helpful to me when I was in my deepest moment of doubt. I looked it up. I, I gave that sermon about sometimes I don't believe. I gave it in 2007. Flannery O'Connor says, you arrive at enough certainty to be able to make your way, but it is making it in darkness. Don't expect faith to clear things up for you. It is trust, not certainty. So that's where that came from. And she goes on to say, when we get our spiritual house in order, we'll be dead. I hope that inspires you. <laughs> I'm so grateful to God for the gift of Rachel Held Evans for her voice, which was such a soothing presence in our lives and which, which has outlived her. And I am sad that she's gone, but grateful that she will never be gone. And I hope and trust and pray sincerely that each of us as we journey through the season of Lent with Rachel and this book, Wholehearted Faith, we'll come to the place where we can sort of embrace that mystery because there's so much beauty and depth and richness there that God wants for us. I really do truly believe that. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.